Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. You may have noticed that this isn't coming out on its normal day. We usually try to release programs on, you know, late Friday afternoon, early Saturday morning. And uh, in order for you to enjoy the weekend and and enjoy the fun stuff that we did all week, we're going to try something different. We're going to try to release a little bit earlier in the week for you. So I hope you enjoy it. Plus, there's nothing wrong with hanging out with the folks from Cerberus Moto Co-op Garage for one more week and seeing what they're up to and what they got going on. That was a great story. So there's always that. Hang out. Have some fun. Hang a right, Clyde. Welcome to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, the Internet's home for motorcycle mediocrity. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen them go on to be an asshole. Oh, baby. I don't know. Did it wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. But these new new ways kit my... All right. A couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The people who make it happen. The first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. It's a cafe racer with alloy makes, racing tank, and clip-ons, and all that jazz. And the thing's beautiful. I just love the way the Norton sounds. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Oh, man, bro. I was doing 200 miles an hour, and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an intersection on that. <laughs> Red. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus step, bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle was a Kiwi 80 when I was four years old, and the first thing I did was look in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Well, um, all right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Or else yeah, they just technically. Yeah, that's, we decided that you can call anything without an ass on it assless. All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like the back of the bike will hop real bad, and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the old building at West Coast Choppers, and he let me sit there and just watch him. Uh, right now, I'm drinking a stone rumination, um, but that's not all I do. Earlier today, I was <laughs> I was working on a BMW R90. <gasps> Let's get started. Man, one of the reasons I really didn't like Adventure Rider Radio at first, the guy brings great stories. Well, and the lady, we can't we can't take anything away from Elizabeth Martin, but Jim and Elizabeth Martin put on one heck of a show every Friday. And the intro to that was always so long. I thought, man, I'm going to have to wait forever to get into the show, the nothing, you know, basically the introduction to what the show is going to be about. But as I've gone on and that that intro there is at least two minutes long, I have realized that that helps me catch my breath and get ready just to, to run right into it here, just to plop into the show, kind of, you know, just get my bearings about me and take one final gander over the show notes. Oh my God, the show notes. <laughs> No, they're right here. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it also gives me a chance to highlight the people that have been on the show. And to me, that's what's important. That is really who the show is. The show is you guys. The show is about you guys. If you 
I love hearing the stories that have been on the show, then, you know, that's just a handful of people that have been on and you know, they have amazing stories. Each one of us as writers has some pretty amazing stories. If you have any ideas or you'd like to be on the show, Hey, feel free to email them in. Feel free to leave suggestions. We've got Facebook. We have got, I mean, you can't really contact me via Tumblr, but we've got Facebook. We have Twitter. Uh, we have an email and, the Solstice Slam is coming up. What a better way. I mean, you literally do. If you have a story you want to tell or you have an idea you want to get out there, the Solstice Slam is literally your opportunity to put that into words or put it into writing and send it to me. I'm going to have uh, Keanu Reeves, Danny Glover, or I just got Steven Seagal uh, to sign on to read some of these. And we might be getting Michael J. Fox. We'll see. But at any rate, I mean, this is your show. Take it back, people. You know all those commercials that they had about taking back your vacation? As Americans, we really, really do not have a mandated vacation like they do in Europe. And stress levels have shown it, folks. And the best stress relief that I can think of is two-wheel therapy. It's pretty free, you know, compared to the hundreds of thousands of dollars you can visit, uh, you know, pay visiting a shrink. It's relatively cheap compared to that. So I know you've got a story while you're out there getting some relief from the everyday bump and grind. So why don't you please, just please send those in. We'd love to hear them. I made up a new email just for the Solstice Slam. It's slam at creativewriting.com. Make it a lot more easier than typing out creative writing podcast at your mama's house in the four in the morning after I eat too much pizza.com or whatever the other email address is. I mean, that's just it's so long. Slam at creativewriting.com. That's pretty easy. So go ahead and submit your stories. I, I'm just, I'm so anxious to hear them. I can't wait to start editing them. I'm getting a little, little nervous here because we're like two weeks away. Nobody submitted anything yet. Last year, people were chomping at the bit to get their stories out and get their stories heard. Maybe my show has jumped the shark and people are just like, eh, you know, or they ain't got time with the, you know, a new administration. Maybe you work for the the government and you're rushing around making lots of changes. Is that why you're so busy that you can't, you know, take 10 minutes to write something? I know how hard it is to write something. I have a stinky blog and I write show notes for the show every week. And I haven't done half the stuff that I promised other podcasts I would do. And I haven't even taken some of the time to write my own stuff. I know how troubling kids and work can be. So go home Drink a nice cup of chamomile lemon tea or Jack Daniels, whatever you prefer. Sit down, take five seconds to write down one word that brings to mind your motorcycle or what, or the word that thinking about your motorcycle brings to your mind. And then take 10 more minutes to just chill out, enjoy yourself, you know, try, whether you're riding the bus home from work or you are falling asleep at the wheel in jam-packed traffic or you're just kicking it there eating your taco, your taco, while you're waiting for drag race season to start, take 10 minutes, write something down. It'll make you feel better. You could even uh, scan it and then burn the paper if it's something awful. You know, maybe it'll make you feel it's like a cathartic, uh, you know, release. And then at least you can email the scan to me and then I read it and I can freak out. But for whatever, just just send something. Social Slam's coming up, folks. Email your stuff. Slam at creativewriting.com. Ooh, I better be specific. It's slam at creative hyphen writing.com. Ooh, boy. Maybe that's why no, no submissions are coming in. Are you getting emails bounced back? Oh, God. I'll put it in the show notes so that you just have to click on it. That'll make things much better. Oh, I ruined it. 
shut the door on that chapter. So everybody, happy International Women's Day. If you love women as much as I do, reach over and give the one next to you a hug, even if you don't know them, and tell them how proud you are of them and how much you care about them. Now, I may not necessarily like every woman I know. I mean, my mom left me at the zoo at the chimp enclosure when I was three months old, so there's that. But at any rate, there's been some other BA women in history. Every time I think of, you know, Queen Elizabeth I, she didn't take no guff from nobody. And, uh, you know, then I think of all the great women that have been out there that have done crazy things like Amelia Earhart, Clara Barton, Josephine Baker, uh, Florence Nightingale comes to mind. I mean, these are all women that did stuff that no nobody would step up and do. They, they kind of did it. Uh, we have... Oh, gosh. What was her name? She got assassinated. Uh, Benazir Bhutto, I think was her name. Uh, you know, she was the prime minister of Pakistan. I mean, you have a place where women are repressed, and she's she's coming out and doing this. But then I heard something today on public radio, and I'm going to do my best public radio voice right now because it really did make me think about motorcycling, not just great women, but motorcycling. So here's my public radio voice. Listening to KCRP, the Creative Writing Podcast, and I'm your host, Anthony Benzwana Bonato. Today we're going to talk about women in art. Yes, you heard me, women in art. I, for the most part, let's talk about guys for a moment. All right, let's not do that voice anymore, but it really did. They were talking about women artists, and let's go ahead and talk about guy artists really fast. Male artists, men who have put their stuff down on paper, whether it was a squiggle or the best damn painting you've ever seen. Let's go ahead and scribble Picasso and Van Gogh out. Can you name five male artists. I bet you could, even if you're not that great. I bet you could, you know, talk about Moreau. I bet you could talk about Jackson Pollock. I bet you could talk about Andy Warhol. There's three right there. I bet, you know, what, Larry McAdams. Um, I mean, who who could you not think of? Anybody, anybody else that you probably would name, you know, Rodin, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, all these guys, men, right? Matisse, um, I mean, these are like classic guys that are well-known. Gauguin, blah, 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 blah. I could, I could keep going forever. The thing is, I'm trying to think of ones that are pretty mainstream um, that people know. And I think I mentioned Thomas Kincaid a little while ago, a couple episodes ago. M- modern dude. Can you think of five women artists? And let's go ahead and take Imogene Cunningham and Frida Kahlo off that list. Name five women artists. Yeah, I was pretty ashamed. Me either. And that got me thinking about motorcycling. What does art, great art have to do with motorcycling besides there's some pretty awesome motorcycle artists out there? Well, let's take a moment and talk about a great motorcycle artist. Daily Biker Dan. Yes, Dan at Daily Bikers has sent me some radical stuff. And I'm going to give it away to you for the Solstice Slam if you are the winner First, second, and third place. We're going to stick a little package together. But first, we need to get a story together, at least. So, 
somebody somebody writes something in. Um, like I said, last year we had people chomping at the bit. This year, it, it seems like the first person that writes something in is going to be the only person. So what you're going to get is everything in the prize pack. And what you're not going to get is the rest of the show. Because as you know, last year, so slam, the rules are, baby, I read the submission or I play the submission and then I do the rest the remainder of the show is a kazoo solo Mm -hmm. my throat couldn't take it last year so please send me some stuff in but anyway speaking of great bikes and artists daily biker dan mark dougaly another guy we uh, interviewed on the show great artist he's been posting some stuff on facebook again dudes two dudes and what does that really have to do with the art and the motorcycling question well when this guy was asking the uh, the audience he actually said you know listeners out there can you name five women artists and i really couldn't think of any besides frida kahlo and imogene cunningham and you know oh that he's right well what about motorcyclists it is International Women's Day. It's not Female Ride Day. You know, I forget when that is, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. But International Women's Day, we should be celebrating the women riders and the women racers and everything that we're so lucky to have in this motorcycling community. There have been quite a few women in history. Uh, just a few that I follow on my social media pages. I follow Jenny Tenmith. I follow Shalina Moreta, Melissa Paris, Ashley Fiolek, uh, Nicole Cheza, who is now Nicole Meese, Shayna Texter, um, oh gosh, Elena Myers. You know, there's a bunch of girls out there. I also follow Joy Lewis and Brittany Olson, who are two more grassroots people that ride. Uh, And if you watched or listened to Motorcycles and Misfits, you know that great cast and crew of people, lots of female riders in that group. And there's a ton more out there. I mean, I know a racer. I have a bunch of female friends that ride. I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Sarah and Carrie and Teresa But I was just thinking about all the great things we have. I mean, I've named a flat tracker, a road racer, and a motocrosser that were girls. And that's just the ones that I can think of, like, right off the top of my head right now, like, not looking at anything, just staring off at a blank wall. Every time I go to the flat tracks races, there's just a a whole girls class, you know, so, uh, you know, they there's a ton, ton of girls racing out there. I think it's great, but I don't know. Could you name five women motorcyclists had I not just spouted all those names off? And do you know five women motorcyclists? I know one, Michelle Mankiewicz, out there in Wisconsin, kicking some booty. And if it wasn't for that drag racing crowd, I wouldn't have known about uh, Angel or Angel Sampy. Uh, Leslie Porterfield, she's the fastest woman on two wheels, verified by Guinness Book of World Records, I think back in 08 or something like that. She's in the 200 mile an hour club, dude. So all these great women throughout history. And uh, it's got me thinking about who else? Who's who is like a famous historical uh, motorcycle, you know, woman personality. So the first one on my list is Wilma Flintstone. No, I'm just kidding about that. It, it's actually some woman named Emma Boonton, born in 1853. Uh, 1853 to present, that can't be right. 
but it says that she wrenches on bikes. Uh, she's born in England, and she's currently employed somewhere up in Santa Cruz. This can't be right, but there's one for you. There's also Dot Robinson, uh, born Dot Golding. She was known for promoting motorcycling for women, and she traveled the country searching for women who owned and rode their own motorcycles. So she formed something that you may know called the Motor Maids, Motor Maids of America, now just going by the Maids Incorporated. And she was the co-founder and the first president for 25 freaking years. And she became the first woman to win the Jack Pine Enduro in a sidecar division in 1940. So go suck on that. Have you won any Jack Pine Enduros? I don't think you have. Then Bessie Stringfield. I believe she's been mentioned on numerous podcasts. She was a motorcycling pioneer. She rode her first bike at age 16. She took nine long-distance solo rides across America. During World War II, she served as a civilian motorcycle dispatch rider. So, I mean... When's the last time you were a motor dispatch rider? This lady was way back in World War II, y'all. Then she became the founder of the Iron Horse Motorcycle Club, which when you say, oh, who was the founder of the Iron Horse Motorcycle Club, Fat Willie McGee? Um, No, it was Bessie Stringfield. How's that? And so when the AMA had their uh, exhibit of women in motorcycling, there's an award in her name that they give to women leaders in motorcycling. And, uh, yeah, Bessie Stringfield. Don't forget that name. Then the Von Buren sisters. I'm sorry, the Van Buren sisters. I stand corrected. Adeline and Augusta Van Buren. You may have remembered the sisters ride. I think it was took place last year because that celebrated the 100th anniversary of when the sisters became the first women to cross the continental U.S. solo on motorcycles. They stopped at Pikes Peak, rode up to the top of that on their bikes. And this is 1916, folks. This is back before there was a freeway connecting New York to California, right? So get that straight. When's the last time you rode cross-country on your own on a motorbike? And if you have, clap, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah for you. But a woman did it first, all right? And But that was back in 1916, the Van Buren sisters. And actually, maybe a woman didn't do it first. We'll be getting to that next week. We'll be talking about records that were set uh, in commuting and stuff. This is the first woman to do that was 1916. So if you're a woman and you've done it now, good on you. But uh, somebody did it over 100 years ago. And it was Adeline and Augusta Van Buren. So Effie Hotchkiss, ever hear of that name? Oh, that is such a rad hipster name. But I'm sorry, Effie Hotchkiss was very unsatisfied with working on Wall Street. So, hey dudes, how many of you work on Wall Street? Oh, none of you? Well, this woman did. And when she got sick of it, she went out on this 5,000-mile motorcycle ride to see the Panama International Exposition in San Francisco, and she took her mom in a sidecar. This is before sidecars were hipster-tastic. And then she rode back to New York, becoming the first woman to make a round-trip continental trip on a motorcycle alone. Go Effie Hotchkiss, right? Then we have Avis Hotchkiss, who was basically... A monkey for 5,000 miles. Her butt must have been so sore. I hope that was a very comfortable sidecar. Then we have Sue Fish. Who was Sue Fish? Well, at the United States 1976 National Women's Motocross Champion, the person to beat was 17-year-old Sue the Flying Fish of California. Well, Sue the Flying Fish Fish of California. No one beat her. And she 
is the undisputed champion of women's motocross, having taken most of the available U.S. titles in 125 and 250cc expert class categories in races around the country. Uh, I actually worked with a woman who told me that she was on the women's national motocross team, I'm guessing in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, I have not confirmed that, so I'm not going to mention any names. But yeah, what a time, the 80s people, when we were like, had a women's motocross team. I mean, people scoff at women's soccer and women's basketball, and they kick the pants off of the men's divisions. So, you know, whatevs. Women have been doing this stuff since like the 80s. I feel like we've gone backwards over the last like two decades then if this is like how it used to be back in the 80s and if my math is right <laughs> it's more than two decades but who's counting right in the last 40 years is that 40 years no like 30 years 30 or something years i feel like we've gone backwards 30 years in the last like 30 instead of going forward does that make sense god dang it so mary mcgee let's move on to miss mcgee she was the first woman to race in the treacherous many houred motorcycle race on the mexican desert um known probably as the mexican 1000 it just says the treacherous many hour motorcycle race <laughs> i'm guessing it's like the baja 1000 or the mexican 1000 and she was one of the few to actually finish so there you go first um rider in 1979 i believe is when that took place If you want to know some really fast women on two wheels, and not just women that made history for being motorcyclists in general, I went to visordown.com and they've listed 10 for me here so that I don't have to do all the work myself. First on our list is Beryl Swain. Uh, Right here it notes that the 1962 50cc TT usually remembered for being Suzuki's first TT victory at the Isle of Man. However, it was also the debut of the first female TT rider, Miss Beryl Swain. After her racing, um, you know, they were real concerned about women racing, so they banned them until 1978. So when you say women have equal rights as guys, dude, this is 1962 we're talking about. And people are like, no, no, women can't race, women can't race. And not until almost 1980, when Hilary Mousson or Moussin entered the TT Formula 3 was, you know, we're telling women what they can and can't do. So that's pretty crummy. Uh, Patsy Quick, she raced Enduro and Dakar, and she was the first British woman to compete in the Dakar in 2003. She crashed. They didn't tell her that no more women could could race, but uh, she was temporarily blinded before being rescued by a media helicopter and airlifted to Cairo. She had some life-saving surgery and... Next year, she came back. How many of you had have fallen and broken like a femur or something and been like, oh, shit, I'm not going to jump my bike anymore or that's it for wheelies or whatever? Um, this chick crashed in the middle of the desert in a foreign country, airlifted by media helicopter while being blind, came back the next year, only to be beaten by the weather and a mechanical breakdown uh, in 2005 and in 2006 she finished the rally so she came back for the next few subsequent years just to show the rally that it couldn't get the best of her she would get the best of it number eight is michelle duff michelle duff is a 250 and 500 cc grand prix racer and champ back when 250 and 500 cc's were rippas and uh born in 1939 in canada 
Mike Duff was a successful Grand Prix racer in the 60s, riding for MZ, Norton, and Yamaha. Very good racer, actually, but, uh, you know, moved back to Canada after 67, continued national racing, and worked as a motorcycle journalist. Um, In 1984, Mike became Michelle and uh, invited out of retirement to ride in the classic races in 2000 at age 60 um, as Michelle at that time crashed and in 2008 finally gave up track riding now she's age 74 so not only do we have a dude that was a good racer now is a woman so we have our first transgender racing taking place back in the 80s i feel like the 80s was this crazy time of change man i mean sure there was like a lot of disco and coke everywhere but i mean women were like allowed to do stuff and dudes were allowed to become chicks and all that great stuff that's like now it like will literally lead people to leave the country. I feel like I feel like copious amounts of disco and cocaine. We really got some stuff done, you know. Uh number seven on the list is Katya Pongsen. I totally got that wrong, didn't I, Katya? Uh 250 Grand Prix uh winner. She's German. She rode her first bike at age five and entered her first race at sixteen. She got her first podium at seventeen. And she won the European Supermono Championship at 19. So if you don't think that is an accomplishment, she's got many, many more, um, basically, championships. You know, there's there's so many, so many opportunities to race motorcycles over in Europe. It's not even funny. And interestingly, the only woman in the list to have to have had children, excluding uh, Michelle Duff is Katya Pongsen. She had a daughter in 2005, and so she retired from competition in 2004 to, you know, have a little baby. So, but listen, it says she's been bitten again by the racing bug, and she's been dabbling in racing e-bikes and mopeds and working with motorcycle clothing brands. So once the motorcycle bug bites you, you there's no getting away from it. So good good going, Katya Pongsen. Man, Poinskin. Poinskin. Oh my God. Poinskin. Then there's Laya Sanz. She does trials and world enduro and even the Dakar. Laya Sanz was born in Spain and she's the current women's world enduro champ. So suck on it, bro. Are you, are you a male or women's world enduro champ? I didn't think so. So get in line behind Laya Sanz because, and I bet it's Laya. Laya Sanz. Uh, she also won the Women's World Trial Championship 13 times and the Women's Trial European Championship 10 times. We're talking about a chick that knows her way around balance, motorbikes, and kicking some tail. In 2011, at the age of 25, she competed in and completed the Dakar. Finished 39th overall. Where did you finish? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, she really knows her way around an off-road bike and she started riding at the age of three racing by age seven. So she's probably teach me like more things. She'll probably forget more things about riding a bike than I'll ever know. So hats off to you. Laia. Number five is Maria Costello. 
she has done the TT and Irish road races. And if you've watched those and if you've read anything or listened to anything I've said about those, that's the real deal. That is road racing, not just road course racing, right? So holy cow, she's been in the sport since 1997, debuting in the Honda CB500 Cup. She's raced in numerous short circuit series, including World Endurance, European Superstock, and many others. She competes extensively in Ireland, especially the TT, um, where she's held the female lap record for many years and the Manx Grand Prix. She wrote and published an autobiography, and she's promoting women-only track days. And not only is she good-looking, she looks tough. I would not miss. Maria Huera Munoz, she is a Moto3 racer. And look out for this chick, 17 years old, from Toledo, Spain. I'm not 100% sure when this article was from, so she may be 18 now. This is from 2014, so she's 43. Um, So she's probably retired. But anyway, Maria Munoz, a Moto3 racer. I think actually I remember this girl getting in a crash recently. Uh, Somebody ran into her or something. Um, Leading the Spanish CEV Moto3 Championship. Of course, this is uh, three years ago. Wildly competitive feeder class to the MotoGP Moto3. And with a second place win, a wild card ride in Moto3 at last year's Aragon MotoGP. Um, She crossed the line in last place. But the early season results with a well-run junior team. Uh, with the NSF 250, so she has plenty of pace, leading home a field of 19 others, all male, all teenagers, and all riding out of their skins. Wow. Um, basically, I mentioned Jenny Tinmouth a minute ago. She races British Superbike. Um, this article was from 2014, but at the opener of the Brands Hatch British Superbike, she was the first and only woman racing in British Superbikes, and it isn't just a token token female filling out the grid she qualified in horrible slippery wet conditions but she took her twr fireblade or cbr as we call them here to 17th place on the grid and left a trail of seasoned bsb regulars in her wake so she's a pretty amazing actually and she's on her way to becoming the fastest woman at the tt she set a lap of 119 in 2010 and i think she recently broke that i want to say so jane daniels racing world enduro uh again another dirt rider she's 24 years old now i believe and she was a husky supported rider the uk's number one female enduro rider uh She took second overall in the Women's Enduro World Cup in 2013. Um, She beat out the Dakar competitor, Laia Sanz. Laia Sanz. And yeah, so we have Jane and Laia running basically in the same circles. So eat that. Anna Carrasco Gabarone. I believe I've mentioned this girl before. Uh, the only current female competitor in MotoGP. I think I talked about her before. Maybe she's the one that was in was in the crash. I'm not 100% sure. But she was one to look out for, actually. She was um, eighth while her teammate Maverick, Maverick Vinales won the title. Uh, of course, this is back in uh, 2013. So I don't know 100% where she is now. I'm going to look this up real quick. Yeah, okay. So Anna is uh, still competing. 
In 2017, she's going to compete in the Supersport 300 World Championship aboard a Kawasaki Ninja 300. She was the first female rider to score points in the MotoGP World Championship in the 2013 Malaysian Grand Prix. And she's the first female rider to score points in any class since 2001. She is Kick Boutte, and I'm totally looking forward to that Supersport 300. As you may have remembered, our Small Bikes episode uh, right after... Um, the IMS show came out, everyone's going small. It really got me excited to watch racing in that league. So there you go. There's a couple more modern women riders. So at any rate, hats off to every woman racer out there. And the ones that I personally follow, like Michelle Mankiewicz, Brittany Olson, even Joy Lewis, um, you know, get out there. They're promoting motorcycling in a positive way. They're making women great again. That goes a little bit against what I was going to say about you know, in 2014, I believe I started my show just late in 2015. And I think that there had been a report that came out that year that, you know, numbers from 2014 were showing that women ridership was up and women are on getting on motorcycles and stuff. And I hope that all these historical women throughout, you know, the last few things that I've mentioned have shown you that women have been on bikes since bikes were invented, since bikes first went mainstream, you know, in the 1900s. So it's nothing new to see a lady on a bike. Don't act like it is. And when they're better riders than you, don't let your machismo shut you down. Happy International Women's Day. And just in case you're wondering, International Female Ride Day, which is a totally separate event, looks like it's going to be on the 6th of May this year. So See you for that, too. Bye. So, hey, there's a couple things that I have not touched on in a couple weeks just because we had crazy episode and then a guest episode. So I wanted to go through my notes here from a couple weeks ago and talk about some stuff that I haven't really mentioned and the first on the list is the JMP Cycles Ultimate Builder Custom Bike Show. They crowned the king of the builders at the champion round at the Progressive International Motorcycle Show in Chicago. Now, this just wrapped a couple weeks ago um, in you know, the middle of February. The 8th Annual JMP Cycles Ultimate Builder Custom Bike Show, or UBCBS, uh, crowned the 2017 king of the builders at the final I. IMS Progressive Show, or Progressive IMS Show in Chicago. If you're not really familiar with this, they have basically different uh, categories, different classes, and you go around and I think you can you can judge and I think you can uh, just, they have them set up at every show kind of out in the middle as you're walking around. And if you listen to that episode afterwards, Chuck and I were talking about the Panthers. We weren't sure what the hell they were talking about, but they have four classes. They have freestyle, modified custom, modified Harley and modified retro. And basically they pick the best, the winners from each city or each region that they're in. And they have the championship round there in Chicago. And that went on February 10th through 12th this year. They crowned the winners, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you who the king of the builders was. It was Nick Bollier with his 
uh, bike, the Hate Machine. He looks like he's from FTW, which is Forever Two Wheels Co. If you're not familiar with them, they're a pretty bitchin' motorcycle company that sells all sorts of great stuff and has some pretty good swag. The winner of the freestyle, he was basically the freestyle uh, category. So Nick Bollier for with the Forever Two Wheels with the Hate Machine Custom Chopper. Uh, second place in that class was uh, Spitball Magoo from Wayne Burgess, and it was a 96 custom shovel head. That thing is like raked out and super crazy looking. The modified Harley class, the winner was Steve Yacona from Yacona Customs, and the bike was the Phoenix. It's basically a 1992 1200 uh, Sportster, and the runner-up in the modified Harley class was the Dusty Pine and that was a 1993 Harley Sportster. The winner of the modified retro presented by Royal Enfield was uh, Steve Dietzman's 1968 Triumph Chopper. And that thing's pretty tight looking. I actually dig that bike. And the runner up was Matt Anderson and Gilby Street Department with the 1982 Harley Davidson FXRS. And if you're not familiar with FXRs, they're Pretty cool. And the modified custom class, uh, the winner was Evan Favaro from Speakeasy Motors with a 1981 Yamaha XS650 bike named Ethel. And the runner-up in that class, the modified custom, was Kyle Shorey with Speed Foundry. And it's a 2004 T100 Triumph bike named Mahakala. One thing I notice on almost every single bike except for the modified retro class with that 82X FXR is that they're all rigids, it looks like. This T100, nope, that's a rigid. Yeah, everything's rigid, man. Even, yeah, all of them are. Maybe not Yakona's Sportster. Got to like zoom in really far to see what trick stuff he did there. No, no, that's a rigid too. At least it looks like a rigid. Am I, there might be like a little swing arm hidden there. It's got like a weird uh, shock on the seat, but I think that might be a uh, part of the seat, not the swing arm. I don't know. That one's a little bit harder to tell because I don't see a pivot point or anything like that. But all of the, the rest of them appear to be raked out, stretched, and uh, crazy chopped, you know, basically Harleys. Yeah, nuts. So that's if you want to win, get an old Harley, rake it out, put a like a at least a 10 over front on it. And then, yeah, but I, I my favorite ones, uh, I'm digging that 68 Triumph Chopper because it's not chopped like crazy like the other ones are. It's got a sissy bar. It's almost more brat style, if if you ask me. No front brake, like skinny bicycle tire look on the front. Kind of like a Sportster 72 when they, you know, when they first came out, little mini apes and stuff. Also that 2004 T100, I just dig that thing because it's big and beefy. It's, a, it's really like a Triumph bobber, you know, like a real Triumph bobber. And that one actually looks like it may have... The frame looks rigid on that one, but it might have like a trick swing arm hidden somewhere in it. But I think that's a, I think that's rigid. It's got a Springer front end. And that's just a fat looking bobber bike that just looks massive in the front. I, I really like that one. But yeah, the other ones are pretty cool. I really think the Dusty Pine uh, 1993 Sportster deserves a look too. 
I kind of like anything with a chin fairing and a number on the tank. Uh, that's my bias. But yeah, anyways, so those are the winners. Didn't cover that, but you know, if you ever go to the one of the IMS shows, it's totally worth checking out all the crazy cool stuff that they have out there on display on the floor and just check out what the people are throwing out. Uh, I met a few people last year with stuff out on the floor and you wouldn't believe, you know, hopefully I'm going to be talking to them this year about what it took to design those bikes. Uh, something else I wanted to mention, I noticed that Bike Bandit uh, had talked about John Hines a couple of weeks ago. No, more than a couple of weeks ago. I did a little write up on the Flying Doctor himself and threw it up on our website, creative-writing.com or creative tickwriting.com. I don't know if that's how you say it in the UK or like Europe, but um, yeah, basically he was a doctor at the Isle of Man TT and they had to be like rapid deployment doctors. That means he had to carry all his medical kit on him and know how to pilot basically a race bike with a bunch of you know, medical gear on him around the track. They were the first responders. You usually got there way before an ambulance could. We're talking like, you know, over 30 miles of track winding through towns and hills and whatnot. And even with the best ambulances stationed here and there, it's still going to be a few minutes, um, you know, to get there. So the bikes were super rapid deployment uh, and first responder sort of stuff. And I listened to a YouTube, uh, you know, I saw on YouTube a, a, a seminar that he had given and it was so rad. Just his point of view and his sense of humor. He seemed like the coolest guy. And after I wrote that, I noticed that either last week or the week before that Bike Bandit also did a little piece on him uh, just a couple weeks ago. So yeah, that's probably worth checking out on my site and on their site as well. And Biltwell has been slamming stuff my way left and right. Biltwell has been coming out with all sorts of cool new clothing and uh, hard parts for your bikes and not just choppers, you know what I mean? Like not just Harleys or anything like that. But Biltwell is a local company that's been around for quite a while and they're really getting more involved. I think they've got a blog as well that I might have mentioned last week or the week before on building a custom bike. They're getting really engaged in getting you out, not just selling you stuff, but helping you customize your bike and and giving you the right options. They recently had a blog post on their handlebar guide, and it's pretty good at telling you, breaking it down, what works with what chassis and what works with, you know, if you have a long frame don't use certain handlebars if you've got a short frame, if you're this or this. And, you you know, they even talk about the amount of torque generated on via the handlebars and the riser kits that they make and really to help you decide how you're going to, you know, guide your build. So mostly Harley stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of dudes that do Triumph choppers still and a lot of people that do, you know, whatever. X, obviously, XSs and Triumphs were in the biker build-off final. It wasn't all Harley, so it's kind of cool to see that. But the thing is, is that they've just been pumping out a lot of good stuff lately. For uh, a bike company, I've noticed that, you know, similar to Revzilla and Bike Bandit, uh, getting on board with the blogs, uh, Biltwell's doing the same thing. So that's worth a check out. Isle of Man news. Not to be, you know, it's only less than 100 days away, the Isle of Man. And uh, big news uh, coming this year. Actually, 
Guy Martin's going to be coming back. Last year, he took a little sabbatical. He suffered a nasty fall, I think, at the Northwest 200 prior to. And, you know, I don't blame him. And, you know, couldn't couldn't make it to the TT. Or, or he, if he could, he just decided not to. He instead came out here the week of the TT was happening and rode from Canada to Mexico on a mountain bike with very little stuff. All you ADV guys out there with your giant panniers and your freaking humongous backpacks and tents. Did you hear me? He did it on a mountain bike with probably just a backpack full of stuff just about. So at any rate, he also tried to go out to the Bonneville salt flats and set a couple records. And you can find some of that documentary here and there online this year. He's coming back to the TT. He is also going to be racing. I believe a CBR 1000 RR Fireblade. Uh, making a return on that. He's been with Honda for quite a while. He is going to be racing with another Honda bike, the Mugen Shinden. And I can't wait for them to come out and say, hey, you know, we're going to be competing in the OE market. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But him and John McGinnis are going to be racing on that. And I want to say that... uh you know, the the team has the current lap record, the uh, Mugen Shinden team, with 119.279 miles an hour. And John McGinnis is going to be racing a CBR 600RR in the uh, Supersport TT again this year. And his fast lap on that, I believe, is 126. Now, Mugen's going to be trying to break the 120 uh, mile an hour lap uh, record. You know, they hold the 119.2 something, but they're going to go for 120 this year. That's only six miles an hour off of the Supersport 600 with the CBR 600 RR. So, uh, yeah. A lap of 126.329 in last year's opening Monster Energy Supersport race was his quickest quickest in the class since 2013. So, yeah, only six miles an hour off of his fastest lap on a Supersport. And we're talking John McGinnis here, racing TT legend. You know what I mean? So that is pretty incredible news. Also, Dunlop, I think he was on BMW forever doing the S1000RR thing, which is a kick-ass bike, by the way. But he's jumping over to the GSX-R1000RR this year, which I have to say, uh, that's my current project at work right now. And that is a sweet bike. That whole bike is pretty much new. A lot of people are bagging on the Hondas and... uh, Suzuki is for, you know, bold new graphics and all this stuff. And it doesn't look like the spy shots showed us that it doesn't look like anything different. Well, I have to tell you that I disagree wholeheartedly. And yeah, that GSX R1000 RR is going to be pretty cool to see what, what Dunlop can do on that thing compared to, you know, a massive, massive uh, BMW effort who's had IMUs on the S1000 RR ever since it came out. That thing's had slide control and wheelie control and every other control that you could put on it. Hell, it's a BMW, you know what I mean? And so Suzuki has jumped on board this year. Quite impressive electronics on the GSX-R1000RR and IMUs and all sorts of great stuff going on. I've been looking at the bike and noticing the weird little stuff that they have finally stepped up. You know, Suzuki's famous for not 
changing anything since like 2006 <laughs> and they finally done it. And I think this is going to be a good year for them. Having him on board ought to be pretty cool to see. So that's the Isle of Man TT, man, less than a hundred days away. Of course, almost immediately following that is the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. This year for 2017, it's slated to take place on June 25th. Jumping straight down to the motorcycle class, you know, there's going to be in the car class, I guess it's worth mentioning, Reese Millen and Sebastian Loeb, and I forget who else are the only ones to have sub nine minute times. Reese Millen's going to be back. One of the crazy guys from Japan who was the first guy to break the 10 minute mark, he's going to be back in a special car. These are all going to be running in the electric vehicle class. And I I read somewhere that the rules had changed for the uh, electric vehicle, uh, or well, the combined fuel classes. So I think electrics are going to be running with just regular vehicles now, which is how it should be. It should just be who's the fastest up the, up the hill. So like I said, jumping down to the motorcycle divisions, we have the uh, challenge division quad class. Four of the five invited competitors have stood on the podium in the past. Last year's second and third place finishers return. Um, Chris Wagner and Theo Bernhard. The Pikes Peak Challenge Division Electric Motorcycle Class is going to have 2014 class winner Jeremiah Johnson teaming up with the UK's University of Nottingham to design and build a new machine for him to race on. Team Buckeye Current from Ohio State University will also be back with Robert Barber from the UK. And the 2016 third place finisher will be uh, having him represent them. The uh, challenge division, which is the exhibition power sports class, we got Travis Newbold from Arvada, Colorado on Bot Power, which is a small uh, Spanish motorsport engineering company from Spain. Well, if they're Spanish, they're from Spain, right? And he's going to be going, I don't know if you know Travis Newbold. If it's a Travis Newbold I'm thinking of, he's the ultra hipster-tastic looking dude with the 49-foot-long beard and the wild mountain man hair. Yeah, he's been on like dirt track and flat track and uh, I think he raced the Ronin. Um, I mean, this guy this guy's a motorcyclist round and round, so that ought to be pretty cool to see. Um, the heavyweight division, after earning the honor of the two-wheeled rookie of the year and placing second overall among motorcycles, Cycle News' road test editor, Rennie Scray's book, you may remember he was on a tear and uh, literally fell down, had himself a tear. Uh, I think it was last year, uh, taking him out of uh, first place or second place. Um, he's an early favorite in the heavyweight division just because of his performance in the past, and he's also run, I mean, Rennie Scray's book, uh, Check out his resume. He's he's a really good racer. He's going to be on a, a twelve ninety Super Duke twelve ninety R. So also uh, a top contender to challenge Scray's Scray's book is a KTM factory rider Chris Fillmore. Also a very good rider and spokesman for the RC three ninety Cup. I think back when he used to race in that. Uh, he's going to be competing on the same bike. So he'll be on a Super Duke 1290R. And uh, obviously, Chris Fillmore used to be a factory rider for KTM, will undoubtedly be very, very familiar with the bike. The Pikes Peak Middleweight Division, uh, the division winner, Chris Legard, will return to defend his title, facing competition from the Vachaltz family. 
I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna go down that road. I was gonna make some jokes, but no thanks. They're both very hard last names to say, and I think they're both from Schatzenheimenville. So Pikes Peak lightweight division. We're gonna have Davy Durrell. He's going to have his sights set on one more championship run. He recently was inducted into the Colorado Motorsports Hall of Fame. Uh, he's the winningest motorcycle competitor in Pikes Peak International Hill Climb history with 17 class victories and six titles of King of the Mountain in eight motorcycle divisions and class records and one motorcycle course record to his name. Uh, according to the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb official website, the rookie to watch is going to be Brandon Ward in the lightweight division. He was a soldier in the U.S. Army, and he's the son of Jeff Ward. If you don't know who Jeff Ward is, you're obviously not a motocross fan. Um, 1999 Indy 500 runner-up and two-time X Game Moto X Supermoto Gold medalist. So his son is going to be there in the lightweight division. And a full competitor list can be found online right now. I'm just giving you the nuts and bolts. Next on our list is lane splitting laws. Now, this is just going to be a really quick, quick mention because I honestly don't think any of them have passed. However, I had heard recently that Utah, uh, via the Wheel Nerds, may be looking into a a lane splitting law. None of them are as comprehensive or as, um, I don't know. Uh, I I don't know what the word to compare it to California's would be, um, but California's is pretty, um, I don't know, lenient, I guess I could say. Not lenient, but not overly regulated. The ones I saw for Utah, maybe, but then I think the... uh, Senate, state Senate shut down. Uh, same thing with Texas. Texas was exploring some uh, some lane splitting laws, but I think their their Senate went out of session. But it says right here that there's no laws. It says is lane splitting legal in Texas? Well, there are no statements made about lane splitting in Texas law, but some Texas legislators are talking about changing that. And according to the Houston Chronicle, two separate bills were both filed on the in the Texas legislature last year uh, each one lane splitting bills on designated road where traffic's moving 20 miles per hour less or less so it says that there's nothing saying it's illegal which is basically the same way it was in California until we legislated it and made it legal so uh, if if it's not illegal it's therefore legal uh, not saying that you won't get a ticket but you could you can sure as hell fight it. Uh, also, I heard, I just read on Asphalt and Rubber uh, last month, I believe, that Oregon's also exploring a lane splitting bill. And I think they were before. It was very specific where you could do it. Um, Might have even mirrored something that they had going in Washington. Because I think Washington was also, uh, you know, discovering a lane splitting bill or, or researching. They weren't discovering it. Guess what? The Vikings discovered the lane splitting bills in Washington. And then... Europeans took credit. Anyway, so (laughs) are Vikings Europeans? Anyway, getting back to lane splitting, uh, it's coming down the pipe. I think it's uh, people are seeing that it's safer for motorcyclists and people are seeing that it's not the end of the world if you do it right. And 
It's true. There's people that do it here in California at 80 miles an hour or 90 miles an hour when traffic's light and they just are cruising. But actually, what what are they doing? They're just speeding and weaving in and out of traffic. People do that in cars as well when the traffic's light and there's enough room. Uh, people speed in cars all the time and change lanes without using blinkers and run into each other and do a lot of crazy stuff that motorcycles do. Uh, only they just do it at with heavier vehicles. Basically, so people are crappy drivers, whether they're on a bike or not, and splitting lanes for the ones of us that do it right and do it safely. It's actually safer than riding next to a vehicle when traffic is stopped. Um, You see a lot, lot, lot of accidents here in L.A. when traffic is moving less than 50 miles an hour and when it's, you know, bumper to bumper. I mean, You don't normally like have lane closing accidents at low speeds, but cars really nowadays are designed to crumple, not to, uh, not to withstand, uh, any sort of abuse. So it doesn't take much that, you know, those, those crash tests that you see on the commercials and stuff, those are done at 35 miles an hour and that shreds your car, you know, 35 miles an hour. So motorcyclists in between that, could you imagine what that would look like if what you're seeing, like when they do crash test dummy commercials, Imagine throwing a motorcycle in between there now, and that's at 35 miles an hour. Imagine, you know, 40, 50, 60, something like that. So at any rate, it's to me safer to be in between cars. Anybody that can tell you that has got smashed in between cars can tell you that they would have rather been uh, in between them rather than, uh, well, splitting between them rather than sandwiched in between them. And there's so many rear end accidents because of texting and blah, blah, blah that, uh, I mean, it's just crazy. I just I feel much safer when traffic is slow being uh, splitting rather than being, you know, trapped between two multi-thousand pound cars. The great thing about lane splitting is the great thing about Grape uh, Fanta. If you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. And if you don't like doing it, you don't have to. So that's a great thing about that is I know some people are very resistant to it and they don't see the need for it, blah, blah, blah. I don't see the need for grape favored Flanta, Fanta or Flanta. Can I say Flanta? Um, if you're drinking it in Atlanta, is it Flanta? Uh, anyway, yeah, same thing I feel about regular pickles versus dill pickles. Sweet pickles? Disgusting. I would never wrap my lips around a, a sweet pickle, but uh, give me a dill pickle anytime. That doesn't make you guys that like sweet pickles horrible people. Okay, kind of does. But at the same time, they're gross and uh, I would never buy them. So if you're a person that buys sweet pickles and not dill pickles, that's how I feel about lane splitting. And you don't. So don't do it if it becomes legal in your state. So that's that. I, You know, this is... um. I don't know if this is going to be a good episode, but I hope it is. I'm going to go ahead here and... Watch this magic segue. All right, everybody. Welcome to the official books segment of this episode. It's something I've wanted to talk about for quite a while. I've mentioned some books in the past that I've read, and I've even suggested some books to read. However, I've never really talked a lot about books in general, the type of books that could either be like instructional or just plain old fun. And a lot of times it's really boring just to sit and read through a manual or, you know, sometimes it's a catalog or something like that, but it's not really that fun. So tonight 
here with me, I have a, a guest who is a connoisseur of books. This person has read more books in one month than I probably have in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> and uh, really is a, is a quick reader. And I started reading a book, I loaned it to her, and she was done with it in six hours. And so three days later when I finished, we can finally talk about that book. <laughs> so, but I'd like to point out that Bike XF just released like 11 essential books and everybody reposted that. And to me, they weren't really essential. And to me, they weren't fun books that uh, really made you want to read. And I, I require a certain sort of book to get me really into the mood of reading. And uh, I don't really stick with books that often, even good books. I'm trying to finish a book now about a man who had a motorcycle journey. I mean, it's literally in my wheelhouse and it's hard to hard to read just because of the style of writing. But there's a book I want to talk about that uh, guest B here and I read. And uh, I don't know, I wanted to review that, just a, a quick review and not really give you the ending. And I, I'm confident that she won't do that either because she's really discreet when it comes to things like that. So the book in question or the book that we're going to be talking about tonight is called The Black Goats Motorcycle Club. And the author is a former TV personality and a sci-fi writer, as it were. And uh, I'm going to ask my guest, what was your general impression of the book? Well, like a quick summation of the book, like what was your feelings on it? I thought it was a good book. I, I didn't want to put it down. I wanted to know what happened next, but it was not my typical genre. Right. And like I said, you've read over like 132,000 books, and that's just <laughs> this month. What type of books do you normally read? Um, I like women's fiction. I like suspense. I I read a little bit of horror, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you've read educational books you've read a book uh, a three series book on civil rights so i mean you're you're you know basically the scope of of your reading it varies i mean it's yes. it's like all sorts of stuff so this book had you engaged huh? you didn't want to put it down yeah yeah I, well i wanted to know what was going to happen next and it did keep me guessing and that's what you ask of a book when that, you're reading it right now i have to say that's why a book has to hook me as well. And this this book, I found myself reading it like every time I had a free moment, whether it was like in between wrestling the kids or in between while uh, pasta was boiling or something like that. I would literally be trying to read at least a couple pages because that takes me five or six hours to do. And yeah, I have to say that this book was one of those page turners and it was, it wasn't very long. I mean, it's 25 chapters, which might sound long, but they were really well written and suspenseful. And in the first chapter, I guess we can kind of go over it without giving anything away, but the first chapter, uh, kind of is like the character sets the development of the characters. What did you think of the characters in the book? Well, in the first chapter, we meet the motorcycle club and I was a little thrown by the way that they were introduced and I was kind of ready to put down the book right away because like yeah. I said, it's, it's not what I typically read, but then there was something about it because, okay, I've read motorcycle club books before. However, they are nothing like this before. <laughs> right. Uh, spoiler alert. 
well, I won't give it all away, but yeah, people getting their heads blown off and stuff like that is, you know, you can say, oh, it's typical motorcycle book stuff, but this, this no, is a way of going about it. There yeah. was No, this was like <laughs> Next typical level. motorcycle club stuff does not... Yeah. is not at this level. Yeah, yeah. this is next level Without stuff. giving any of it away. Yeah. I wouldn't, like, I've read motorcycle books before, and, um, yeah, I, I, you know, no, I would not expect that. Right. And right off the bat, I think we can talk a little bit about the characters. So the goats, uh, the black goats, they are a, a terror. They're like an outlaw club from what it sounds like. Well, you can tell that there's, like, something maybe... Um, I don't want to say magical about them because well, magical is not correct. Right. I mean, there's no club that's, quote, magical. But, the, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the fact that they get stuff done on their agenda definitely. Well, they just seem very, like, extra strong. Right. More strong than I would expect. Like, most motorcycle club books that you read, like, the the members are, like, you know, pretty fit or buff or like <laughs> strong have strength but these were totally like, fake <laughs> <laughs> these guys had like it seemed like extra human strength right beyond human strength they kind of um you know they kind of talked about the type of drugs that will give you extra human strength in the, in the beginning of the book and and there are some main characters there's a nurse boulet um, I don't even remember her first name, but uh, Jan. Jan, okay, Jan Boulay, who is a nurse, and uh, I think she's a pretty strong figure as far as like being snarky with the doctor whose name was. Kind of reminded me of like um, GI Jane. Oh, okay. But like the blonde version, I forget Laura Petty, mm-hmm. right? She kind of reminded me of like of a Lori Lori Petty character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she kind of. I, I just pictured. Um, the one of the girls off of The Walking Dead the whole time, just like a strong woman who was like, you know, because uh, they seem like they're mm-hmm. all former nurses or military or something like that. Yeah, but like she seemed petite. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She was petite, and, but she's very strong. So her personality was came across strong. And then there was Dr. Hank. I don't remember his last name, but he was like... A, I would not want him as my doctor. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> he, it sounds like he passed his uh, physician's exams with like low Cs, like ba- the bare minimum mm-hmm. to make it into the medical profession. Uh, then there was Whitey, who... I did not get the fact that he worked at the hospital until later when they mentioned it, but he seemed like just an old drunk hillbilly dude that lived out in a trailer somewhere. There right? is something about him though that, like, even in the and because he's kind of in the opening scene as well, mm-hmm. and there was something about him that kind of struck me. I had a little bit of a soft spot for mm-hmm. Whitey when I was reading the book. I pictured Santa Claus in overalls, and I think that they actually described him as that later yeah, in the book. Yeah. Then there was the the doctors and the nurses because um, this takes place in a hot. They, they are their profession is uh, you know doctor and nurse. And then there was another nurse, um, Nathan. I forget his last name. Yes, I liked Nathan as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Doctor Otero, who is the head doctor, is from what I'm taking it. Nurse Otero. She was the oh, head nurse. Oh, was she nurse. the head nurse? Okay. Yeah, she kind of re- ran the hospital. She seemed like the like the nurse ratchet of, uh, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like, just the, like, domineering, mean, 
you know, B word nurse that you think of in mm-hmm. like all these movies that like even has control over the doctors. You know what I mean? So, oh yeah. If you're thinking of like Grey's Anatomy or like uh, what was one of those other uh, medical shows where the head nurse really is like running? She's like head. Yes, but she's. I think she felt as if she was running this like very busy hospital. But I mean, we do have to mention the fact that there was one patient in yeah, the hospital. Yeah, this is. A rural hospital out in the desert of Arizona somewhere. I don't even know if the the town is real. Yeah. So that's the setting, and the uh, the goats come in, and I mean, a why would a why would a motorcycle club be going after a hospital? It's got to be drugs, right? I mean, mm, yeah. I mean, I guess that's what people would guess. <laughs> but basically. Without giving anything away, an all-out war breaks out between the goats and this whole community, actually. I mean... It, the, the hospital community. Yeah. Just those characters. Yeah. That's the, that's the setting. But they go they go ham on the whole town. I mean, they, like, take out the town pretty much. I mean, you got you to gotta figure when a biker gang rolls through your town, you got to be expecting some trouble. So, the setting is the hospital. But I would just say, like, anybody that was uh, around that day probably... Whether it's a noise complaint or like, you know, running. You, we, we've seen Mad Max. We know they, they run people down. So that may or may not have happened in the story. But, uh, yeah, I would say that just whenever a biker gang rolls through your town or decides to set up shop there, things are looking grim for the whole community, wouldn't you say? Yes. I'm just trying to think of what the synopsis of the book was because – I went in blind, like having no idea. I didn't even know what the genre was when I went in to read it. Yeah, I told you, read this motorcycle book. Yeah, and so I was just wondering, like, did you read, like, the synopsis? No, no. Or did you go in blind, too? I went in totally blind. Okay. Totally blind. So can we, like, talk about how what the genre is here? Because I feel like we haven't really given much. Yeah, and I kind of don't want to because... I want people to go out and and try this book and see what they say. Let's just say this. There's a lot of murder. Well, it's not for, like, the weak. Yeah. Like, if you can't handle blood and guts, don't read it. Yeah, uh, and it's definitely not for anyone under, like, 17. Yeah, no. no Definitely has a rating on this. No kids should be reading this um, unless you're one of those hardcore kids that's emancipated and you've been reading, you know, crazy lit from people from I don't know all sorts of people since you were 13 or something you're one of those kid geniuses otherwise if you're a regular kid stay away from this book but it definitely is a page turner and it has everything that a good action movie has which this guy didn't let the the author's name is Jason Murphy by the way he didn't let anything out of the bag that didn't be out of the bag prematurely. You know what I mean? Like he kept you turning those pages and just waiting to see what was coming next. Well, I have to say that I think part of that was going in blind. I think had I, I mean, I kind of want to look up the synopsis right now to see what it says. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. We're going to pause and look it up. Okay. So we looked it up. It says in the heart of the Arizona desert sits tribes, Memorial hospital, quiet, isolated the perfect place for the black goat motorcycle club to settle an old score as the hospital staff struggles to survive the night they come to understand that the real threat an evil both ancient and hungry may be trapped inside with them 
Hmm. What, yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> I think had I read that, though, before I read the book, I may have been thinking along different lines. Yeah. I, I, I think it was better just to go in blind. Yeah. Like, I it's too. definitely, it's more, like way more devastating to go in blind. Did we like, just ruin it for everyone? I hope not. Did we just ruin it for you guys? Honey, most of the people that listen to this show can't read. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> So, yeah, I I really I went in blind and I recently got a Kindle and it's like I always swore like they were probably the dumbest things ever, but they're actually pretty nice to be able to just like pull up multiple books on one device and read. However, it does leave out the back pages and stuff unless you like specifically probably look for them. And so, yeah, you, you kind of do go in blind to every book. And I think also, yeah, I'm glad I didn't have anything to read. Because this thing just comes in and smashes you in the face. Like, it breaks your tooth in with a giant two-by-four with the barbed wire wrapped around it. And that's probably in the book somewhere <laughs> that happens to somebody. But I, I I agree. Like, coming in blind, like, I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. Because they mentioned some things in the book that would tee you off to yeah. certain things that happen later if you were expecting something. But I really think that the you can tell that the author took time to to kind of build the story and let what you needed to know come into play when you needed to know it. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is I think this is his first full novel. I've looked up some other stuff and they were like short stories or compilations or he was featured in a book, uh, you know, a book of compilations or something like one of his short stories. I think this is his first full book and it was only published last year so hmm. pretty amazing for a first time author it's a good de- debut yeah mm-hmm. and the other thing is that i listened to uh, i forget if it was a, a radio lab or a freakonomics but they talked to an author about the formula for suspense and this guy has it dialed in like this guy just everything about it when you, if, if you were to really break a book down to its like uh, elemental pieces and try to think like an author has to think this guy for a debut piece did a super, super good job of like reeling you in page after page. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like I said, I don't typically read the genre, but I found it very entertaining. I would consider reading another book by this author if I was in the mood for, for that type, that style. Yeah. The thing is, is being a motorcycle quote genre. Could you go from this to then like reading about someone's travels of riding across Africa and like what would the, you know, them falling in a ditch and getting hurt and having to be sewn up by a, some witch doctor in real life be as like fantabulous or like as addicting to listen to as like some of the crazy fights that break out in a fiction biker book or, you know, go from the black goats to the, to something like that and be just as excited about you know, reading that as, as, as this, because this was literally like reading an action movie. Yes. Because I feel like what you're describing is more about the adventure of riding a motorcycle and what you would go through where I think that the black goats was more of just like a platform of suspense. It wasn't about being a club or like having an adventure together. It was just like a way to represent a group in 
Right. Okay. It was, yeah, specific. It was like a specific action by a group. You read the book No Angel, which was a story of uh, Agent J. Dobbins. I forget if he was ATF or FBI, but he actually infiltrated the Hells Angels. And I remember you kind of blowing through that. That was like a page turner for you, too, because of the stuff that happened in that. Yeah. I mean, I love reading about other people's lives. And that was definitely a life that I could read about that I would never live, you know? And so like going through that, I just couldn't imagine this person who like didn't truly believe in the life, but kind of was led to believe in the life by the situation that they were put in. Right. Just the simple association of having to having to be in every day. Yeah. That's a incredible thing to think about. Yeah. And you know, I'm reading about some other people's adventures right now. And I've actually, since getting this Kindle, I have kind of chalked up a couple books to read because it's kind of has piqued my interest in reading. If every book was as exciting as the Black Goats Motorcycle Club book, I would just be sitting there turning page after page. The one I'm reading now, I have some criticisms about it. I won't harp on them too bad, but the guy wrote it and published it himself, I think digitally. I don't think it's a hard copy even. So therein lies some... You know, if I were to write something, it wouldn't be great either. So I'm not, I shouldn't be. But, but, but just because it's indie doesn't mean that there can, like, I've read a lot of indie books and indie books can be just as well written as like mass marketed publishers. And absolutely. And to, you know, mention that we actually have a friend that's an author Mm -hmm. and was an indie author and. I cried. I'm not going to tell you which books. I don't want you to think I'm a sissy, but that book was really good. And I didn't cry the whole book. I cried at one part. It was like, yeah, yeah. I hate when motorcycles go off of bridges. And so, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no. And that was, I think it was a masterpiece actually. And then, yeah, once you have more uh, spoons stirring the soup, it can get, you know, it can get over seasoned, so to speak. So yeah, I believe you're right. And but and this guy is sort of indie. I mean, the the, the press that released his book is really small. I've never heard mm-hmm. of Sinister Grin Press. But the guy that published the book, The Travel Journey, that I'm reading right now, it is it is just not 100 percent well written. And he probably didn't. Well, you have should editors. just wait until you like finish it though, because maybe there's yeah. something that's gonna like change your mind towards the end. That's true. I'm so quick to make decisions about stuff. And or is it like the grammar and that that's throwing some it of off. it some like, of it the book like they just needed like a good copy editor yeah they needed a copy editor the book is called mm. a journey i won't say what the book's called then the book is about a guy who's traveling the eastern seaboard and he says stuff like the sun took its daily nap if you think about it isn't it a nightly nap I know, I know, but you have to also think that, like, so I have, like, a strict rule when I'm reading any type of book. Yeah. Like, if I'm not going to give it four stars when I review it, I'm not going to review it. And the reason for that is that it's... Wait, don't tell me, because your mama always said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, it kind of falls into that, (laughs) but having a friend that's an author, like... You know, I know how much work they put into it. And I'm not saying all authors do, but like, I think that it's really can be difficult to be that like hidden person behind a screen, like, yeah, 
picking and you know oh. at bits and pieces of someone else's work and then you know like they don't know who you are but you're like this may be their life work like right. it may be something that they're sorry sounds like some jerk on a podcast i know <laughs> <laughs> no but you know it's exactly why i hate social media is because one person does something and then like on facebook 35 billion people can you know just tell them how horrible they are for doing that. And then you learn the other side of the story and you learn, like you're saying, I'm really going to give this book a chance. Well, I mean, I also don't think that everyone should get a trophy for trying. Like, I also don't agree with that either, but I'm just saying maybe give it a chance and maybe it'll get better. Yeah. Well, definitely if nothing, I mean, if I don't like the, the way the guy writes, that's one thing, but the book definitely points out some points of interest and gives you this person's experience from you know what they had to go through from not planning you know i guess so it's it, it, it's a lesson book i guess i mean there are some good takeaways i'm not saying are you enjoying it yeah you know what it's, it's it seems so massive i feel like it's 842 pages long I've, <laughs> I've been reading it for three weeks i'm on page like 37 and it's like <laughs> i know you'd be done with it twice already but i just yeah it's just it's been kind of a, a hard read and i've been trying to sneak it in like after the kids go to bed so that's uh maybe not the best time to be reading a book and giving it my honest opinion but at the same time yeah i am still i'm still excited i mean i'm still looking forward to reading it i can just tell it's not gonna be a page turner like the black goats was you know well not every book's supposed to be yeah it it is a leisurely you know i also read this book a long time ago just about letters that this old guy sent to his son and the old guy's wit and the stories he would tell that's what was interesting about it and nothing happened i mean it was really a book about nothing it was just this literally correspondence to the guy's son but they were just so quirky and witty that it really was a good read in the end and i didn't feel like i had to blow through that i felt like hey if i pick it up and read one of his letters now and then it's funny so i kind of feel the same way about this i feel like it's somebody's travel journal and i'm not riding the same road so i don't need to know exactly what's happening next so yeah i can read it over the next couple months if i need to and still get the same thing as if i were to try to rush through it there's no no, I, I feel that there's no big lesson for me here in the end. And if there is, then when I get there, I'll be happy that I read that far. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, in summation, I'd like to say give the Black Goats Motorcycle Club a try. It was a pretty good book. And I've read very few books front to rear as fast as I read that one. That was pretty amazing. I also had some help because... I won't tell you why. I don't want you to cheat. But at any rate, I think we both liked it. And when we read totally both different types of, you know, books. I like picture books because <laughs> I'm so dumb. And you read, you know, just about everything. So it's great. Like this is, I think we both given it a thumbs up. What do you say? Yeah, I definitely would recommend yeah. it to, to people. Yeah. Two braps of the throttle. Burp, burp. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Two revs of the engine. We got to make something like Siskel and Ebert had thumbs up and down, and other people have like, yeah, two rooms. I'll give this star two out of two rooms. <laughs> so, well, thanks, guest. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I implore everybody to go out get this book. If you have a Kindle, it's pretty cheap. I think it was like a couple bucks. Two ninety nine. Yeah, and hey, speaking of which, you are a connoisseur of all things literary. You've bought hardback, paperback, Kindle. Can you give us like a rough idea of what to? expect when you're buying in different medias Uh, what to expect well uh, like should i refuse to pay for something if it's like 12 bucks on kindle uh 
Or Amazon, I should say. I think it just depends on what you value as far as, um, I think it all depends on what you value. So in my opinion, I will pay up to $10 for a Kindle book, um, depending on who the author is and what form of publishing that they've been through or that they're in. But hardback, paperback, I mean, if a paperback is $10 and that's the same as the Kindle, it depends. I think that um, they get more money back if they go through the Kindle than if you were to get the paperback. So if you really want to support the, um, the, pu- the, 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 author, the author, right? then buy it in Kindle version. They'll get more money. Um, paperback's just always kind of cool. I, I love reading in paperback because everything's digital and everyone has a screen in their face now. So I love taking a book right. out. So. I have to, I, I love the smell of old books and I used to just go and like, my grandma had a bookcase that I would just like love walking by. And yeah, there's nothing like leafing through an old worn book. They used to sell them at the, um, you know, the little racks there at, at the grocery store and stuff were now like, it's just the inquirer and a bunch of crummy candies, but that used to be chock full of paperbacks. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that used to be a thing. People would grab a good paperback and, um, go read it. But Kindle has definitely changed things. Like you mentioned, I don't think anybody would think about the fact that it supports the author more because they make more off digital downloads than they do off actually like ripping down a tree, processing it, making a book and then having all that overhead. Right. Well, I don't know for a fact, but that's what I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and you can self publish, you know? So, I mean, there's that. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to ask that question. I'm yeah. Gonna ask, I'm going to figure that. I'm going to find that answer out. Yeah. Do let us know because there's more books that I want to talk about. And as they become more accessible to me, uh, via electronic means, I intend to start reading a little bit more. So you should link them up on your website. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. Well, that's our show for this week. Chris Singsheim wants his episode. Each day he dies a little bit when there's not a new episode in his ears. So Chris, this one's coming out for you. We're going to call this one Pump and Dump. But we'll call it something classy. Stay classy, New York. Creative Writing and Insta Associates would like to apologize to women everywhere. Every woman I mentioned on the show... We'd also like to apologize to the J&P Custom Cycles Builders. We'd also like to apologize to the Isle of Man, all the writers we mentioned. You can tell we're not doing a really great job of keeping a list this time of the people to say sorry to. So we're just going to say sorry to the entire world. And sorry to Jason Murphy and the Black Goats Motorcycle Club. Sorry, Chris Singsheim. Send in your submissions to SolsticeSlam at slam at creativewriting.com. Oh, damn it. Send in your submissions to SolsticeSlam at slam at creative-writing.com. Yes. Because all the dummies that listen to my show that can't read don't have time to read a book. I'm sure they read books all the time. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 64 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. And by episode 64, I mean episode 65. <laughs> and so uh, I'm picking those up. That's terrible. And gosh, I mean, that's just three of the people. I know. I'm, I'm so sure I should just slap myself in the face right now um, for not naming all my friends. I better like back 
backpedal real quick because I have like a bunch of friends that ride that are female. But I mean, no, no, I can't say that. That's all wrong. Okay. You have to delete that. Okay. They're saying that there have been uh, five invited competitors previously having stood on the quad podium. And uh, if you don't leave us a message in iTunes, you are cotton-headed ninny-mugging. Wow.